This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Big Coomera Bar and Nightclub, the hottest night spot for vampires in all of Wellington, New Zealand. The Big Coomera, vampire owned and operated since 2001. Come on in. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a vampire week. I guess it's interviews with vampires week on yes. Pod Cemetery mm-hmm. with 1994's Interview with the Vampire and 2014's What We Do in the Shadows. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. Name four found footage horror films. Uh, Blair Witch Project. Paranormal Activity. The Houses October Built. And Grave Encounters. There you go. All right. Kelsey, why does Malloy interview the vampire in Interview with the Vampire? What's the explanation given? It's kind of a, the story is not very clear, but. They do talk about it. They do. The way that they describe it is, for some reason, I don't know why, the the guy was following the vampire. The vampire was following him because he wanted to drain him, drink Mm -hmm. his blood. But for some reason, he was following him and he started to talk to him. And Louis was like, all right, let's do this. Yeah, Malloy just thought he seemed interesting. Yeah. And I guess he has a habit of going back to strangers' rooms and interviewing them for no discernible reason. He didn't even know he was a vampire at the time. Mm-hmm. He doesn't find that out until they get into the interview. Yes. Which is incredible. But, I mean, I guess there are other uh, reporters who have done that in the past who have just, like, you seem interesting. I want to hear your story. And then they make an article out of that. But that brings us right into 1994's Interview with the Vampire, colon, The Vampire Chronicles. Apparently it comes after Interview with the Vampire. And it's in the title. Like the actual title card in the movie, I have no idea if that's just on the Blu-ray version that we have. Or... If there was always a plan to make more of them. I mean, I know, yes, the books written in the 70s, I want to say. There is a series of them called The Vampire Chronicles, but I didn't know if they were actually advertising it that way when the first movie came out. Now they do, oh, it's part of a larger franchise and there's going to be a shit ton of them, you know. So maybe when the Blu-ray came out, they put it back in or maybe it was actually in there. And I I don't remember that being the case, but I was 11. (laughs) So what do I know? (laughs) Interview with the Vampire is directed by Neil Jordan. Written by Anne Rice, based off her own novel, starring Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Kirsten Dunst, Antonio Banderas, and Christian Slater. Christian Slater was cast after River Phoenix died, like a month before they were going to start shooting. He ended up donating his entire paycheck to charities that River liked. That's nice. Yeah. Anne Rice originally 
hated the casting of Tom Cruise. Yes. She wrote it originally for Rudger Hauer, and she equated casting Tom Cruise with casting Edward G. Robinson as Rhett Butler. Edward G. Robinson is the guy who's famous for that. Nah, see, nah. I'm coming after you, see, and I'm going to put one in your dirty hide for every lying crack that you made about me in the paper, see? Well, but then she took it back, right? Yes. Well, she didn't watch the movie until somebody on production gave her a copy. She finally sat down and watched it and was like, holy shit, I was incredibly wrong. And ended up apologizing to Tom Cruise. (laughs) I think Tom Cruise does a pretty dang good job. He really, really does. Yes. Just interestingly, Rutger Howard is in both Salem's Lot and Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a vampire. (laughs) Uh, The movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 92. (laughs) There was at one point per Anne Rice herself back in a 94 interview where she wrote a version where Louie was actually a woman because she was concerned about the homosexual undertones of the relationship between Louis and Lestat. But also, isn't this mostly written... This this was the first one that she wrote, and I'm pretty certain that she wrote it right after her daughter died. Yeah, in the 70s sometime. And so, like, mm-hmm. the whole idea... Louis is pretty much her. Yeah. Her. But, she, but I'm talking about she wrote a version of the script. Oh, okay. Because she was worried that people wouldn't make the movie if it had too many homosexual undertones. Uh, and so the idea was is that Louis would actually be a woman who would dress like a man in order to allow her to own a plantation under French law, etc. etc. Where women weren't allowed to own a plantation. She thought that was the only way the movie would get made. And originally, they had gone so far in casting that they had selected Cher, and Cher had recorded, written and recorded a song called Lovers Forever, and it's like a piano ballad, uh, very meatloafy apparently. It was never released until seven years ago, about 20 years after she originally wrote it uh, on her Closer to the Truth album as this more like dance ballad sort of thing. You know, it's got a dance. You know how Cher in the 2000s sounds? Yes. Do you believe in life after love? Like that. <laughs> But about vampires being in love. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So she just held on to it and ended up releasing it on her own 20 years later. I just thought that that was uh, pretty cool. Very cool. I love Cher. Yeah. Cher's pretty great. Cher's pretty awesome. (laughs) I don't think that Cher would have worked here. No, not at all. It would have been a completely different movie. Yes. Completely different. She was a witch around this time. (laughs) In the Witches of Eastwick. Yes, she was. Yes, she was. It's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, I mean, Christian Slater, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, like, you were not going to have a problem with getting women to see this movie. <laughs> okay? This is... This or cast, gay men. This cast is stacked, yes. Yes. With like, just gorgeous men. Jesus. <laughs> um, Antonio Banderas. Yes. I mean, it's just, and I get that you might... You might not get like macho men in your in your fucking theater, but they weren't gonna see a movie about vampires anyway. Well, yeah, it's a this is like a precursor to <laughs> Don't you dare. Twilight. Like absolutely. If it wasn't for interview with the vampire, Twilight would not exist. That's my argument. That makes me insanely angry because 
the beautiful thing about Interview with the Vampire is it does not take away their ruthlessness. No, it doesn't. But it makes them all emo and <laughs> makes women want to comfort because them. Because they're people. They were humans before they were turned into right, creatures of the darkness. <laughs> the darkness. The darkness. <laughs> but there weren't a lot of examples. I'm sure there are some, but there aren't a lot of examples of vampires being humanized. Oh, really? Did we not this watch? Way? Did we not watch The Hunger? Yes. No, The Hunger is very similar, but it also wasn't a, a huge blockbuster with mega talents in it. David Bowie <laughs> was and Susan Sarandon. David, yes, <laughs> but like you know, ask you could ask my parents if they've ever even fucking heard of The Hunger, and they wouldn't have. Probably not. True. But even if you haven't seen this movie, you've heard of it. Yes. And it went it went a long way in setting the stage for the emo vampires of Twilight. It's just a fact. <laughs> what is Interview with the Vampire about, Kelsey? I mean, literally, it is an interview with a vampire. Yes. And he's telling his life story. Well, let's be clear. Let's be clear. It is interview with the vampire, not a vampire. But since the prior word is ends with a TH and people just kind of interview with the vampire, it sounds like you're saying a vampire. But on the record, interview with the vampire. So the vampire is Brad Pitt. He's being interviewed by this guy, Malloy. Go ahead. He just tells his life story. He explains. From when he became a vampire to today, which today being 1992. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if you watch the Blu-ray version that, that we watched, it's preceded by a clip of Neil Jordan, the director, saying, Hi, I'm Neil Jordan, and I'm here to introduce Interview with the Vampire, a movie about the saddest vampires you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Neil Jordan, and I'm here to introduce Interview with the Vampire. A movie about the saddest vampires you'll ever see. It is not available with any subscriptions, but you can rent it for as little as $4 or buy it for $14 to $17 on most major services. Should people watch Interview with the Vampire? Yes. Yes. 100% yes. Yes. It is a phenomenal film. It is beautiful. It is incredibly written. I think there were some rewrite passes on it, but Anne Rice gets credit according to writers guild rules it's practically but, exactly the same as the book yeah there are differences like uh, especially character differences yes but nothing that's really like a huge deal that impacts the plot no the good news is everyone i read the book a long time ago and i've only read it once so i don't have tons of information but i remember when i read it because you have to you have to know that this is one of my all-time favorite films yeah ever like, uh-huh. like Poltergeist, like Rosemary's Baby. So, like, I've seen this movie. I couldn't possibly count how many times I've watched this film. I just remember when I sat down to read the book, I was like, that's pretty much I'm just reading the movie. That's cool. Yeah. I think Brad Pitt is incredibly poorly cast in this movie. Ouch. I think he is the the biggest liability of the entire cast. Ouch. 
Uh, I like Brad Pitt. I like him in a lot of things, but I don't think his range is exactly spectacular. I think he does fine in this movie. He's okay. (laughs) But if you can't stand his sort of sibilant, almost lispy voice uh, when he tries to be serious and soft, you will hate him in this movie. Doesn't bother me. He does it so much. He sounds so stupid trying to do an almost accent, and it's the thing I hate the most about this movie. Hilarious, because Tom Cruise's accent bothers me way more. I don't mind Tom Cruise at all. His R's are just, oh my god! Who told you that British people pronounce their R's that way? They fucking don't. But he's not British. He kind of gets a British accent, though. He's putting on... He's supposed to be like a dandy. He's supposed he's putting on like a little bit of a British posh accent and his R's just drive me insane. Yeah, the the only accents I think that are good in this movie are the ones that are natural to the actor, like Kirsten Dunst with her American accent and Antonio Banderas with his Spanish accent. Uh, like those accents are great, but it's because they're natural. <laughs> I don't know what's his face. The the I guess you could argue that he's one of the villains. That French dude that works for Antonio Banderas. He has a French accent that I don't think is legitimate. I don't think he's actually French. He has so few lines. Yeah, uh-huh. it doesn't really matter. He he has that performance. Yeah, it's more yeah. about his performance than it is about his dialogue. Exactly. But yes, you should watch this movie. Are you kidding me? It's so good. If you hate poetic language and you don't like some emo shit, you might not be as enamored by it, but it's really fucking good. It's very good. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1994's Interview with the Vampire. I want you to see we get started. So you want me to tell you the story of my life? I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you all of it. I'm flesh and blood, but not human. I haven't been human for 200 years. From the novel by Anne Rice. From Neil Jordan, the director of The Crying Game. I've come to answer your prayers. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? His name is Lestat. But what if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain and give you another life. One you could never imagine. He chose one man. He gave him infinite power. Eternal life. And a daughter who would be forever young. And then he took the light of day. You're a vampire who never knew what life was until it ran out in a red gush over your lips. He turned to eat. End her suffering and yours. But do not doubt. You are a killer. I want some more. Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Stephen Ray, Antonio Banderas, Kirsten Dunst, and Christian Slater. Interview with the Vampire. All right, Kelsey, get us started. I know you can talk about this movie like it's the back of your hand. 
How does Interview with the Vampire begin? So it's in San Francisco, which I always forget. Yeah. Because it's not important at all. But Except for the fact that they shut down lanes of traffic on the Golden Gate Bridge to film that last scene. And so, like, in that regard, it's sort of, like, iconic a little bit. But it's not really important that it takes place in San Francisco. The only part about it that I'm like, well, it shouldn't be in fucking San Francisco is because why is Lestat there at the end of the movie? I think it's specifically because he's following Louis. But Spoilers! But for how long, <laughs> like, because they aren't super clear about when it was that he last saw Lestat, like, when he finds him in New Orleans. I think it was the, like, late 80s, wasn't it? I guess, but they're not super clear about it. So it's like, is the idea that when he found him in New Orleans, that prompted him to keep following him? But if it prompted him to follow him, why hasn't he, at For the years. very least, yeah. changed clothes, you know? Like, yeah, he's still wearing the shitty clothes. He's that, yes. wearing the exact uh-huh. same clothes that he was wearing the last time we saw him, which was hundreds of years ago. Yeah. And you could... Or he's just insistent. No, the last time we saw him was just a couple years ago. Right, I understand. But when we see him there, he's wearing the same clothes that we saw him wear hundred years ago, and hundreds of years ago. And I'm okay with that. Because the idea is that he, and it plays into the idea that old vampires become completely- Set in their ways. <laughs> and they become completely um, disconnected from the world around them. Yeah. I understand all that. But if he was prompted to follow Louis across the, the United States- hmm then you would think he would have at least had to start wearing some up-to-date clothes to blend in. Yeah. There are very few flaws in this movie, but I do make a big deal about them because they are the reason that this movie is not getting 100%. That's ridiculous. Oh. <laughs> just, it doesn't mean perfect. It does. It just it means does. your highest recommendation. I don't think there's anything wrong with Rosemary's Baby. I cannot think of flaws. I could probably think of a couple. I'm sure we mentioned them in our conversation about Rosemary's Baby. Go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> anyway, there's some fun, creepy music that they play. If you are a fan of, well, if you've seen a lot of movies based in Catholicism, you've probably heard this type of music. But it definitely reminded me, it made me think of, and I could be wrong because it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, but it reminded me of Primal Fear because he's it, he's a choir boy, and so I feel like there's choir music played, and it's very creepy and very foreboding, and it reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. Slater works for a radio show and is excited to interview this interesting person. Yeah. And when he, of course, tells him he's a vampire, of course he doesn't believe him. Like, how, oh, you think you're a vampire, huh? <laughs> how does he prove that he's a vampire? He moves really fast. Yeah. And when Christian Slater asks him how he does that, he says, it's the same way you do. I just do it faster. Yes. How the hell did you do that? The same as you do. A series of simple gestures. Only I move too fast for you to see. I'm flesh and blood, but not human. I haven't been human for 200 years. We see other vampires do that throughout the film. That's the only time we see him move like that, right? Yeah, it's almost like when vampires are interacting with other vampires, they don't bother 
<laughs> like doing the effect. They all move that fast. That I, that makes sense. I could believe that. That if they're all moving at that speed, then we wouldn't see it. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So he explains that 200 years ago, he was 24 and he was a man at that age. <laughs> yeah. 1791. Louis was 24. He was married and his wife died in childbirth. So did their child. That is not in the original novel. He was just a dude, a bachelor. Oh, was he? Yeah. I didn't remember that. Mm -hmm. Like I said, guys, I've only read it once, so it's I don't have a huge memory of it. Yeah. And it was years ago. But because of the death of his wife and his child, he gets like super suicidal and just doesn't care about anything. Yeah, he's at the point where he would like to die. He's not going to take his own life, but he'd be happy to die. Right. I'd like to point out that this is the first time that you can hear that sibilance that Chris is, is talking about. <laughs> I was a man at that age. The times were different then. I was a man at that age. The master of a large plantation just south of New Orleans. The way he says age. <laughs> that type of thing bothers Chris. It does not bother me at all. <laughs> but I definitely, I know what you're talking about. Just let it... Yes. It's like he needs to open his mouth a little bit more. His teeth are too tight. <laughs> I, I love the relationship that they immediately start between Louis and Lestat. Lestat watches him from afar. Uh -huh. And Lestat is just enamored with the beauty of this guy. Oh, he's gorgeous. Yes. And I guess that's why Lestat picked him. I mean, like, like we say, there is this part of the lore that vampires need to create other vampires every generation. Because so they're that, lonely. Because they are lonely and because <laughs> they need a reason to feel connected to society. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because otherwise they, you know, they're so old that like they become accustomed to things and they don't know how to change without someone helping them to do so. Yeah, having a connection to the modern day. And so every once in a while you turn another person. And this person is appetizing because he's gorgeous and doesn't care about life anymore. So yeah. perfect person to turn. He, Yeah, he doesn't want to live anymore, so he's what I want. But what's interesting about that argument is Lestat knows he doesn't actually want to die. Yeah, and this is a test. So he's going to, one night when Louis gets drunk, he's going to bite him and start sucking his blood and then ask him, Do you still want death? Or have you tasted it enough? He's like, no, God, stop it. I don't want to die. Fine. And then he just drops him into the bay. Yes. <laughs> and when he wakes up, he can no longer eat. He can no longer, like. No, no, no. Here, he's not changed yet. Right. But. The food has no taste. Okay, yeah. Everything seems lifeless and dull and dead, and you can't figure out why. And it's because he's in this limbo. Uh-huh. Which we see in lots of vampire movies. Yeah. It's in Lost Boys, where when they first bite him, he's a la he's able to walk around in the sun, but it doesn't feel good. Uh -huh. You know? There's this limbo where if you've been bitten but allowed to live, then you're kind of like a zombie until you drink the blood of the vampire who changed you. Yeah. And so he gives him the choice that he never got. I'm going to give you the choice. I 
Never had. And I would love to know Lestat's story. I've never read any of the other books yeah. from the Chronicles. Mm-hmm. I've never seen the movie that I've Queen told, of the Damned. Which I'm told is awful. Jesus. Why would they make <laughs> Interview with the Vampire and then Queen of the Damned? Because Aaliyah was hot at the time. And it's like a sort of heavy metal. Yes. Like alt-rocky, badass sort of story and it's like what the fuck are you doing why is this underworld all of a sudden this is not what we signed up for when we watched interview with the vampire (laughs) well so i have i have no idea what lestat's story is and it's frustrating every time i'm just like i want to know i can't remember if it's in the books i read something about how apparently lestat was only changed a couple of years before louis And so he'd only been a vampire for a little bit. He's not some ancient vampire that's been around for a while and wanted a new partner, which I thought was pretty interesting. But they don't really go into that here, I don't think. No, they don't. They don't give you any indication of who his who his changer was. I guess that's a word. Changer. Changer, I guess. His maker. His maker. maker. That's the term they use. The implication is that Louis comes from France. Yeah, because he lives in Louisiana. This is where this is taking place. In the 1700s, so it's very fucking French. I have to ask, I feel like a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. What year did the American- Louisiana Purchase? No. What oh. year did the- Oh, is that why they're suddenly Americans? Because I was like, I know the war started in 1776. No way it took that long. No, so France owned Louisiana and or parts of Louisiana and a big swath of cent- the center of what is now America. And they sold it to America in 1803. So after this takes place. That would make sense because he says this here, he says 1791. Mm-hmm. And then a little while later, he says, now we're all Americans. Yeah. And I was like. How long did the war last? (laughs) No, yeah, nothing to do with the Revolutionary War. (laughs) Okay. I love when he gets turned. You know, he was a new vampire weeping at the beauty of the night. Oh, my God. There's a, it's a, it might be a little cheesy. It might be a little on the nose, but I still appreciated it. In that transformation scene, when, when Cruz turns pit, there's a shot where the color temperature of, what we see changes from warm to cold, mm-hmm. warm to cool. And yeah, so it becomes, it starts in more like orangish, yellowish colors and then transforms into darker blue, like that kind of stuff, just like in the middle of the shot. Yes. So I don't know if they actually changed the gels on the lights or if they did something in camera or if it was a post-production effect, but I noticed and appreciated it. I think it was, I think it's very cool. Yeah. Okay, so... They're out on the town. It's their first night out as vampires. Uh Uh-huh. And Tom Cruise takes him to a tavern uh, where there is a woman working there that I suppose is also... So she is a sex worker, I assume. And the terminology that they use throughout this movie, and even in the credits with the names of characters, is whore. They constantly use the term whore. And it's like, Jesus Christ! (laughs) Like, maybe that was the terms they used back then. Well, of course it was. Yeah, well, I don't know when that term came about, or if it's just a term we like to bandy about at the time. My point is, 
Tom bites her on the neck first and then hands her over to Brad. While Brad is drinking from her, Tom kills her by sucking from her wrist. What is Brad supposed to be drinking from? Her tongue? Her lips? What? Yeah, he's he's biting her in the face. It's because they're they're supposed to be yeah, kissing. Uh-huh. But then there's blood. Yeah. Did he did he just start sucking on her tongue? Or something. But there's something that they don't I want to address here that they don't explicitly get into in the movie, I don't think, is the hypnotism aspect of it. Like, there are a lot of people who just are totally cool with the shit that's happening to them for a long time until they can't ignore it anymore. And they don't expressly say, well, vampires can hypnotize you, but it's part of the sort of the tropes of vampirism. Are you talking about how they can bite someone and the person doesn't seem to realize that they've been bitten? Yeah. I would imagine if they were going to make an argument for it, I've always assumed this, you know, pain and pleasure can feel similar. Yeah. And so... You know, some people, uh, when you're when you're used to having a lot of different types of sex, uh-huh. you know, if someone bites you, you're not going to think that they're eating you. Like, that's not going to be the first thing that you think of. Yeah. So when it starts to hurt, it also kind of feels good because uh, you would get a ton of endorphins if you were losing that right. much blood. But there's a later time, there's a later moment that happens where they are full on draining this person of their blood and puncturing their skin like drastically. And the person doesn't respond negatively until they see it in front of them, all the blood all over their body. And they're like, Holy fuck. And it kind of snaps them out of it. I think there is some sort of low level sort of vampire look into my eyes, hypnotism going on here that they just never explicitly discuss. Well, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things. And I think that that kind of puts us in Louis's shoes. Yeah. Because he doesn't know. <laughs> he's yeah, learning things. Yeah. We're caught. Co- he's constantly just like, wait, what? You can read people's thoughts, you know, like. And they talk about how, yes, powers manifest themselves differently in each vampire. And it can take years for you to be good at doing something. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that I, I kind of like that there's some mystery to it. Oh, yeah. Like totally. I said, it's putting us in Louis's shoes because Louis is constantly looking for answers. No one wants to ever give those answers. We're not sure why. It could be that they want to create a mysterious shroud around them. Yeah. Or it could simply be that they don't know the answers. I think and I that's think that's it. kind of both. I think it's both sides because Louis could tell, I mean, Lestat could tell Louis more than he does. Uh-huh. He chooses not to. But I think, I mean, going back to the fact that Lestat hasn't actually been a vampire that long, I think there's stuff that he doesn't know and he just wants to sound impressive. So there is that element of, like, keeping the veil up to seem cool. Mm-hmm. And and then there's... I think we drink virgin, virgin blood because it, it sounds cool. cool. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I have that written down in my notes. Um, and... <laughs> Then there's the other element of, yeah, because they don't actually know. Uh, I I think that kind of builds into the themes of this movie when you think about Louis' motivation across the entire arc of the film, not just his story in the past. But his entire story in the past is him looking for answers and not being able to find any. And so his motivation for giving an interview is like, you know what? I'm going to be explicit. I'm going to tell somebody everything I know and I'm not going to hold anything back and maybe just maybe 
people will hear it and I can answer somebody's questions, whether they're a vampire or they're not, which is why it's so frustrating at, at the end when he's like, have I failed again? Like, because he he's Good trying God, to, I failed, I failed again. again. Yes. So it's, that's kind of Louis's arc across the movie is not knowing anything, not having any of the answers, realizing there aren't any fucking answers and then sharing that and being open and transparent about that with as many people as he possibly can. I think that's really interesting. And so we see these moments of like, is this a thing? I don't know. Maybe there aren't actually any answers. Anyway. Such is life. Such is life. There are no answers to fucking jack shit. Uh-huh. Everyone thinks they have them, but there aren't any. <laughs> so, of course, Louis is having a lot of trouble with killing people because he's just become a vampire. Yeah, at one point he says, this is later, but he says, forgive me if I have a lingering respect for mortal life. Yes. And Lestat tries to explain to him lots of times, there's nothing you can do about this. You are now a vampire. The only way to feel peace, to feel good, is to feed. You will be in pain all the time or you could eat. Like, that yeah, that's what's uh-huh. going to happen here. And my problem with this is Louis makes such a big deal. Like, oh, it is possible. I could live off the blood of animals and I could, you know, survive. M- my problem with it is, if that's the way you feel, Louis, why not kill bad people? Yeah. Why not that be the story is uh, you're actually a, a vampire superhero and you only kill bad people. Like Dexter, you yeah. know? Like, and that's probably the only flaw in like his characterization like i'm just like he comes to terms with the fact that he has to feed and i'm fine with that uh-huh. i don't like he's a fucking vampire but there is expecting. a there is a middle ground that he's not yeah, getting to there, yeah there, you could very easily only kill bad people uh-huh. he finally just resigns himself to the fact that i guess i gotta kill people and he just kind of kills indiscriminately yes and that's the problem it's like you could satisfy your morals at least part way yes by just trying to find bad guys yeah. and that doesn't even occur to him uh-huh okay so tandy newton is in this movie I completely forgot she was in this. She's not in it for very long. No, she's got a small part in it. But it's funny because when Tandy Newton became like a big actress, I was always like, I think I know you from something. (laughs) What I remember her from when she was like, oh, my God, there's this actress. Her name is Tandy Newton. It's like the first time I had ever heard her name. Mission Impossible 2 with Tom Cruise, of all people. Yes. (laughs) That's where I know Tandy Newton from. (laughs) The worst Mission Impossible movie. Yes. <laughs> By far. Sorry. So, on another night when they are killing off some rich people, and I do enjoy, I love that, I love that this is the one time that Tom Cruise is like, dude, you got a problem with it? We'll kill this bitch. She killed her husband. Yes. And that's when we find, about, it, find out about mind reading. And she blamed it. On a slave. Imagine yeah. what they did to him. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, it's so good. It's Tom Cruise is so funny throughout this film. He does say, yeah, evildoers are easier and they taste better right here in this moment when he's talking about this woman. And and Louis kind of doesn't run with that. Yeah, like they, we were don't, <laughs> they don't continue with that. Okay, uh-huh. you can read minds. Let's find all the evil people uh-huh. and kill them. Like they don't go there and I don't understand why. It's so funny, too, because when he tries to kill her, he eats her he, poodles. He can't bring himself to it to do it. 
and ends up grabbing the dogs and she calls them her papillon. Remember we talked about this? It's French for butterfly. Oh, uh, yeah. Because that's what the dog's called, right? Yeah, well, but my point is that when we were talking about papillon is a type of dog. It's a dog breed. And in Crimson Peak, there is a papillon. And butterfly is sort of a visual theme throughout the movie. So this is kind of a, oh, hey, hey, remember when we were talking about that? <laughs> But yeah, and so when she starts screaming her her lungs out, Tom Cruise ends up just snapping her neck. Yes. Brad Pitt gets so mad that he starts, like, he grabs Lestat and thrusts him up against trees and stuff. And this makes Lestat happy. He's like, I see. All right, let's use this anger. Yeah, love and, to see that fire in your eyes. And yeah. And this is when he says, I'll watch you come around and i'm like ah you're are stop it you're gonna have to put that line here feed uh, on what you will rats chickens <laughs> poodles i'll leave you to it and watch you come around but he's kind of out of breath here at this moment isn't he he's laughing yeah uh-huh. he's laughing really hard uh-huh. at brad's anger i'll watch you Come around. Tom ah. Cruise has his moments where he is a stellar actor. <laughs> and there are a lot of them where he's at least good. And then, then there are some moments where it just, that's just Tom Cruise. You know what I mean? And this might be one of those moments where it's like, ah, your Tom Cruise is showing. <laughs> when he's walking away in this part, in this scene, he says, life without me would be even more unbearable. Uh-huh. But just remember, life without me would be even more unbearable. <laughs> Which is interesting, because you'd think he'd be right, but he's kind of not. Well, it takes a while for Louis to realize that. You know, there are those relationships that you may have when you're just like, this is toxic, but I can't imagine life without them, or whatever, and and. It's not until you don't have them in your life and then you get over that that you realize, wow, I was incredibly wrong when I thought I needed them. You know, it's a toxic relationship is all it is. I do love when Brad Pitt is mad at Tom Cruise. He's like, you know, why don't you have more answers? Why don't you know this stuff? And I love Tom Cruise's response. Why should I know these things? Do you know them? <laughs> it is really good. It's it's hilarious. You came from Paris? As did the one who made me. Tell me about him. You must have learned something from him. I learned absolutely nothing. I wasn't given a choice, remember? But you must know something about the meaning of it all. <laughs> I know these things. Do you know them? There's a moment later on where they get two more sex workers where there are some really good Tom Cruise lines, <laughs> like Lestat lines in here yeah. about, oh, you're in a coffin. You must be dead. You know, all that. And Louis refuses to kill one of the women. And Lestat finally does it. And Louis like to think you're all I have to learn from. Oh my God. I have to learn from how tragic that is that you're all you're the only source of answers for me which is again is goes into louis's motivation is to the search for answers Mm -hmm. 
So basically, Lestat's been killing left and right the slaves, and so the slaves are kind of rioting. Uh huh. And pretty much, Brad Pitt's like, "Fuck this shit," and lights his house on fire. Well, it's after he can't stop himself from feeding on Tandy Newton, yes, whom he really likes. He yeah. Again, let, let's be clear: he owned them as slaves. Yes, we're not apologizing for that. Right, but. Yes, he, it, it devastated him to realize that he couldn't prevent himself from killing, fr- someone, from he killing liked. someone he liked. And so, yeah, he's like, fuck it. And he brings her dead body out after he sets the plantation on fire and all the slaves are going to come busting in to set the place on fire on their own. But he comes out and he's like, this place is cursed. Get out of here. You're free. Leave. <laughs> and yes, your master is the devil. Uh huh. Hear me now. This place is cursed. Damned! And yes, your master is the devil! Get out while you can, you are all free men! You hear me? Run! Save yourself! But yeah, so he lights it all on fire. And in comes Lestat, bursting through a fucking window. (laughs) Just perfect! Just burn everything we own! And I love Brad Pitt. He's just sitting there laughing. You thought you could have it all. And he goes, oh, shut up. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Just burn the place. Burn everything we own. Have us living in a field like cattle. You thought you could have it all. Shut up, Louis. Well, the funny thing is, is they don't have this conversation. But is this why he turned him also? Because he was rich and had lots of things. Oh, probably. And then he claimed him as his own. Yeah. Now that they're in a relationship. They were basically a married couple. Not that a vampire fucking needs to. You find a person who's old, kill them, and and take over their household. Like, what's the... I don't know. But that's kind of what Antonio Banderas is going to talk about later, is about the decadence of vampires. And about how sometimes they just... They lose their humanity by focusing too much on their decadence. But so... They end up going and sleeping in a cemetery, which you would expect vampires to have to do if they uh-huh. don't have a place to stay. And Louis says, we are in hell. And I love Lestat's response. Maybe there is no hell. Maybe yeah. Maybe all this stuff that you believe in doesn't exist. We belong in hell. And what if there is no hell, but they don't want us there? Ever think of that? Yeah, his argument, Lestat's argument, I don't know if it's at this point or later, is that evil is a point of view. God kills indiscriminately, and so shall we. For no creatures under God are as we are, none so like him as ourselves. So if God can kill whoever he wants, whenever he wants, why can't we? Which I thought was a pretty good argument. That's probably what Louis is thinking as he ages and just starts killing whoever he wants. He's like, Nothing fucking matters. Nothing matters, exactly. (laughs) Evil is a point of view. I like that. Even though it's coming from Lestat and he's using it to rationalize being a total dickhead. Yes. Evil is a point of view. God kills indiscriminately. And so shall we. For no creatures under God are as we are, none so like him as ourselves. So after they kill... The other women that you're talking about. Most of us never get to know what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> it's a coven! A coven! It's your coffin, my love. Enjoy it. Most of us never get to know what it feels like. He puts a woman in his coffin. What's that one? 
It's a coffee. Well, so it is. You must be dead. So after that, Louis is so mad that he kind of tries to leave. Uh huh. And Lestat just keeps following him. Live off of rats in the sewers. Yeah. All He's I have like, to do is follow dead rats, uh-huh. and I can find you. And so he gets Brad Pitt so upset that Louis runs off to where a lot of people are being told not to go because the plague has taken over that area. Uh huh. Well, walking through the plague area, because of course he can't die, he finds Kristen Dunst. And I gotta tell you guys that it was probably Kirsten Dunst's performance in this film, which now as an adult I can see that she's definitely a child and there were mistakes made in her performance. As a but kid. But she's really good. She's so fucking good. As a kid, when I saw this, I was like, I can do this. Uh-huh. It was me realizing I was a child at the time and I was like, I wanna do that. Uh-huh. That girl can do it. I can do it. Uh-huh. And I really do believe that Kirsten Dunst's performance here is why I got into acting. Mm-hmm. And so that's very, very cool. One of the other reasons why I love this movie. Of course, now, again, I see that she was a child and that there were things. But it's very hard to make kids good actors. Yeah. She's very, very good in this. She does an excellent like really job good. when she's put up against two of the hugest actors at the time. Uh-huh. Very impressive. Who's the director? Neil Jordan. Has he done any other things that we know? Nothing huge that we know. He did things you've heard of before, though. Like, he directed The Crying Game. Michael Collins kind of came out of nowhere with this one. Like, this is what he followed up The Crying Game with. Well, The Crying Game was huge, so it makes sense that he would be given a movie like this. Uh But, I mean, he did an outstanding job. Directors yeah. who can get kids to give these kinds of performances are very impressive. Mm-hmm. So they find Kirsten Dunst. He starts to feed on her. Well, because the in his mind, her whole family's dead. She's delusional. She thinks that her mother, what, is still alive and doesn't realize that she's decomposing. Right. So he's like, you know what? She's going to die. I might as well release her from this and gain my own sustenance. And he talks about when he... Sucks her blood. His line is, her blood coursed through my veins sweeter than life itself. And as it did, Lestat's words made sense to me. I knew peace only when I killed. And when I heard her heart in that terrible rhythm, I knew again what peace could be. And as he is sucking her blood, appears out of nowhere, Lestat laughing at him. Oh, yes. My great philosopher. Uh, here you are fucking eating a child. <laughs> and embarrassed and ashamed, he runs off on his own. But he does acknowledge that, I mean, he's fucking right. It felt great. Mm-hmm. And he does try to revive the little girl. And while he's doing that... <laughs> Tom Cruise is dancing around with the corpse of the mother. (laughs) Oh, yes. This calls for a celebration. There's still life in the old lady yet. (laughs) Which my brother thinks is the most hysterical thing. It's really funny. It's my brother's favorite line. still i been the old woman yet like, it just, it's my brother's favorite line he loves that part he thinks 
My brother thinks that Tom Cruise does an outstanding job. He really does. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Louis runs off in shame and embarrassment. Lestat has an interesting line. Oh, how you love your precious guilt. Yeah. And I think that is a true thing to say. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people out there that thrive off of that, you know, that they're, they they talk about how guilty they are or how bad they feel, but they embrace that feeling and they can't, they feel like they can't live without it almost. And they love to tell people how guilty they oh, yeah, feel. Uh-huh. And they love to say, you know, like, they love to brood. Uh-huh. It's interesting because it puts Lestat in a light of you can see what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, no, fuck you, Lestat. You yeah. do not care about murdering people. It's very interesting how they can do that from the perspective of a vampire. Make you feel like, oh, yeah, you tr- you feel really guilty about killing people. Sure. Right. But then it's like, hey, wait a minute. You do kill people. <laughs> we, were, we were just playing a game uh, called Night in the Woods. I'm sure some of you have actually played it. And one of the characters, B, talks about caring and how it's not a choice. How she she cares and she she doesn't have any choice in the matter. It's something she can't help. I think that's the same way that Louis feels. Like, he feels bad about this. Lestat keeps trying to tell him, if you just stopped feeling bad, you could embrace this and you could feel good. It's a but choice. That's all he has left of yeah, humanity. But, but to Louis, he's like, I don't have a choice about feeling bad. I'm I'm still hanging on to these, you know, like he says before, a lingering respect for mortal life. Well, later he will say, I see this. I see that you can teach me. He says this to Antonio Banderas. Yeah. You could teach me to live without regret. You could teach me to be like Lestat and not give a fuck. But why would I want to do that? I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I want to be human. I don't want to be a vampire. But see, okay, that part also bothers me because it's like, dude, you could just not eat. You could just starve to death. They don't die if they starve. No, they do say- They're just in pain constantly. No, they do say when they're going to lock him up in the wall- they say it could take a couple million years or whatever, yeah, but uh-huh. you will eventually starve right, but, to death. But how long? <laughs> that's, that's an unreasonable solution. Uh, Probably the more reasonable one, if you don't want to be a vampire anymore, is suicide. Yeah. And just go out in the, the sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, isn't that like what Edward's going to do in one of the Twilight movies? Yeah, but it's a different kind of suicide. He's going to go out and reveal that he's sparkly <laughs> at like... The Vatican or something, if I remember correctly. I don't know. And everyone's going to see he's sparkling and immediately identify him as a vampire and kill him. It's so... It's a terrible movie. The series is bad. It's very bad. (laughs) Terrible books. Lestat decides, okay, fine. You need something that I can't give you. How about we turn this little girl into a vampire Then you'll have someone to care about, someone to love, Mm -hmm. a purpose, a reason to kill people, Mm -hmm. a reason to find peace. But it also ends up being a new source of guilt. Something that he learns through her is that turning people, whether they want to be turned or not, is a worse option than death. Because that's his option right now. He's like, well, if we don't turn her, she's going to die and it's going to be my fault. So, yeah, turn her. But he's going to learn from this that that's even worse than if he had just let her die. Yes. I love when when they first turn her, 
It's first Tom Cruise that is comforting her, because Tom Cruise is the one that changed her, right? And there is an immediate connection between Kirsten and and Brad. I think it might be because Kirsten recognizes that Brad has is more loving than Tom. Yeah. But I love this. Claudia he, is her name, by the way. I love this. He, he Tom Cruise tells her, well, you know, you're our daughter now. And she goes, I'm not your daughter. And he goes, yes, we are. We're now your parents. And, you know, Louis was going to leave us and now he's not. She's like, oh, Louis. And she grabs him and holds him. And I love Louis's response. You fiend. You fiend. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you're right, you son of a bitch. You fucking asshole. Now <laughs> I'm attached to this little girl and I'm fucked. Yes. Lots of time passes. We see how great of a killer Kirsten Dunst is because she's a child. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have all the qualms that Brad Pitt does. Yeah. She's just, I'm hungry. This is now my food. We see okay. that the first time when she first feeds on Tom Cruise to change on Lestat is that she she's a voracious eater and won't stop of her own accord doesn't know when to stop herself and he has to stop her that's going to be a a characteristic of Claudia throughout the movie is she doesn't have those sort of uh she doesn't know when to stop yes basically and also a thing we're going to learn here which she's going to say later one thing you taught me Never drink from the dead. Yes, because one time when she's gonna, she's drinking somebody's blood, Lestat tells her, you have to stop before the heart stops. Ah, 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 ah. That's enough, Shelly. You must stop before the heart stops. Lest the death takes you down with it. And then we just kind of get, like, just a little moment of, oh, she doesn't want to drink dead blood. And that's going to come in later. But so all this time passes, I think it's like 30 years have passed, and we get to see throughout how their relationship grows and how she grows as a vampire and all that, and it's very sweet, but also fucked up. But after 30 years have passed, Kirsten Dunst is sick of being a little girl. Yeah, and Lestat, she's looking at this woman through a window, and Lestat's like, oh, you want her? And she's like, no, I want to be her and i'm never going to be her and she starts getting super depressed about this fact yes it starts to dawn on her i'm never gonna grow up i'm never gonna become an adult uh, i'm never gonna go through puberty mm-hmm. i'm never gonna have the body of an adult woman all these things are really starting to make her upset this ends up becoming a huge fight where she's she's like cuts off all of her hair and then it grows back it grows back immediately and she's like what the fuck which one of you did this to me and at first all the blame is put on Lestat because Lestat is the one who changed her but then Brad ends up telling her the whole story because of his guilt and he wants to be honest with her he takes her back to her old home and says I was the one who killed you Lestat was the one who turned you. And I hate you both, yeah, is what uh-huh. she says. But it, it's just not that she really... Okay, first of all, I think Claudia is smart enough to know she cannot exist on her own. Yeah. Claudia being she a little girl... She can't just be a roaming child. Yeah, yeah she uh-huh. cannot just be a roaming child. So, she understands that she needs at least one adult companion... Well, if she has to pick between these two, it's definitely going to be Louie. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to talk about why she would choose Louie. 
Well, I mean, Louis the mom in this relationship, right? And so, like, I remember when I was a little kid, I latched onto my mom for comfort. I would, I didn't realize I was having them, but I would have panic attacks in the middle of the night. And I would walk into my mom's room and just stand there next to her bed, uh, next to her side of the bed. And she would just know I was there and wake up. And uh, so, like, I would go to her for comfort in the same way that Claudia, when she she would sleep in Louis's coffin until she decided she wanted her own coffin. But then she'd still get up in the middle of the day, avoiding the light, which is really cute when she's shuffling around the light coming in through the window mm -hmm. and then crawls into Louis's coffin. He knows he's just awake. He opens his coffin. She crawls in and he closes it again. It's very fucking sweet. <laughs> As far as vampires are concerned. Yes, it is. It is very sweet. But when I was younger, I used to think that she only chose, she chose him because she loved him. And now as an adult, I question, does she even care about Louis? Or is she just using him? I can't tell anymore. No, I think she does. I think if she cares about anyone, it's Louis. And I think that's the best we're going to get. I suppose she cares about him as much as she can exactly but i i think again as an adult watching it i get more of the impression that she's using him yeah i mean to an extent but i think there's caring absolutely there uh she also has a persecution complex a little bit when there's going to be talk about them splitting up it's devastating to her but i think half of that devastation is just somebody is abandoning me mm -hmm. it's not really a matter of who mm-hmm but anyway, we'll get there. So she tells Louis, it's time to leave Lestat. And he says to her, he will never let us go. And this is one of the few flaws. It's it's such a silly thing. But again, there's very few flaws in this movie. The fact that Lestat is so eager to accept her apology? No. <laughs> no. But the part where he says he will never let us go. And she goes, oh, and then she has to get up and walk across the space, stop before she leaves the room, turn, look oh, back at him. Oh, she's following her blocking, and, and say, it's very obvious. Oh, it's very obvious. <laughs> and she goes, really? And she didn't know how to say really. Uh -huh. She just knew. I say, oh, I get up, I walk to the door, I turn and look back, and I say, really? And she did not understand why she was doing that. And it's, yeah. It's bad. Uh -huh. It's just like I see this little girl getting up and moving because the director told her to. Uh -huh. And because I direct kids, like I know what that looks like. Yeah, totally. And it's just like, come on, director. You could have done one more take here. Come on. Yeah, or at least tell her her motivation. Like why would somebody stand up, not say anything, walk to the door, turn and then say something? There are many reasons why somebody might do that, which is hers. Mm -hmm. You know, what's her motivation? Exactly. Like she's Christopher Reeve and noises off. Have you seen Noises Off? Kelsey, we need to watch Noises Off. You know what's funny about that? When I was a junior, the seniors put on two shows a year. Uh-huh. And one of the shows they put on was Noises Off. Oh, geez, and that I, would have been so incredibly hard. I never went to see it, so I have no idea. It is, it is the drama kids show, because it's all about putting on a performance, and there's a moment where Christopher Reeve is asking for his motivation he needs his motivation but it's to do something like super mundane and stupid like setting down the groceries or something like that <laughs> and michael kane who's the director is like ju you just do it <laughs> all day ready what's the trouble lord you know how stupid i am about moves 
I've never understood why he carries an overnight bag and a box of groceries into the study to look at his mail. Because they have to be out of the way for my next scene. I see that. And Freddie, my love, Selsden needs them in the study for his next scene. I see that, but I just don't know why I take them. Freddie, love, why does anyone do anything? Maybe something happened to you when you were a very, very, very small child that made you frightened to let go of groceries. Of course, thank you. I understand all that. Freddie, love, I'm telling you, I don't know. All the same, if you could just give me a reason I could keep in my mind. All right, I'll give you a reason. You carry those groceries into the study, Freddie, honey, because it's just slightly after midnight, and we're not going to be finished before we open tomorrow night. Correction, before we open tonight! This is the one part that I do remember distinctly being different from the book. In the book, there is a whole other character that they have developed at this point that Lestat has pretty much been grooming to be another vampire. Yeah. Pretty much Lestat kind of wants to abandon Louis and Claudia in the book at this point, which is why it's kind of so confusing. I don't know if maybe, like, she gets mad that he wants to replace her or something. Well, he's but I possessive. Remember- he, wants, he wants a better shot at doing what he failed to do with Louis, but he doesn't want them to get away because he wants to possess things. But I do specifically remember that there was a whole other character that was being groomed to become a vampire at this point in the book. And he does say here, when she approaches him to quote-unquote apologize, uh-huh. he says, I've been thinking, you need a brother. And that's that's from the book. Mm-hmm. We don't hear anything else about it. But anyway, so yeah. So she pretends to apologize. And she's like, I got these two twins for you. Aren't they perfect? You know? Uh-huh. And he's a total dick. And he's just like, oh, you know, uh, I wish it was a woman who had a body that you'll never possess. And she's just like, why do you say such things, fucking dick? But it's uh-huh. funny because she plans to kill him. So I don't know if any of this is true. But supposedly... When you take laudanum, and laudanum absolutely can kill you, don't do laudanum, uh-huh. uh, keeps the blood warm? That's I've, what she said. I have no idea if that's true. Because they talk about how when somebody dies or when blood leaves the body, it cools so quickly and it tastes disgusting to vampires. That's why they need to kill living beings. Well, also, it can supposedly kill them? Well, that's the other element is dead blood can kill them. But it doesn't. It's poisonous. Well, because we're going to get there, but he manages to stay alive. And there's a reason why he manages to stay alive. He would have died otherwise. But yes, he ends up feeding and it's like, oh, so we forgive each other then? We're not going to be bitches to each other? Okay, cool. And he starts to drink the blood. uh, And then he starts to convulse and Louis shows up and he's like, what the fuck is happening? But I wrote down here, the dying and the dead versions of Lestat's are stunning really they are gruesome i've always well yeah but i've always felt that they didn't look real like I was oh like, I no can i tell. thought they looked great where like the the lip sort of starts to recede and the gums start to come out and if you go back and watch it shot by shot you'll be able to see that's cruise that's a puppet yeah but but when you're watching it and you haven't seen it for a while or whatever, and you, you're not thinking about what's going to happen to him physically, it just at one point he's cruise and at one point he's a puppet and it's unclear where the transition happens. This is Stan Winston. The special effects uh, luminary who did vampire makeup and effects for this movie. 
Stan Winston either did or was involved with or mentored the person who did the special effects for like every great special effects. He did Jurassic Park. So like just everything you've ever seen. There's something about Stan Winston. I think it looks incredible. I thought it looked incredible. I looked it up and turned out it was Stan Winston, not the other way around. I'm not trying to retroactively say it looks good because I know it's him. I guess I've seen it so just so many times. I can see that I can see it in my head. And the part where he is like kind of he's he's spluttering, bleeding everywhere. Yeah, it just looks very mechanical the way he keeps moving his head up. Yeah, but that feels like an involuntary physical action is what it looks like to me. So, yeah, what she does is she cuts his throat after he drinks dead blood. And then so Louis like, well, fuck. And they just throw him in the swamp. Yes, which is how he survives, which is funny because she full on says, should we bury him alive? Should we burn him? Which would have taken care of the problem. But uh-huh. no, they put him in the swamp, which but is they don't, filled with animals. But we know they don't know anything about this stuff. There are no answers. Nobody knows anything about it. And so, yes, he manages to feed on a crocodile or an alligator or whatever it is that's there. All the putrid life of the Mississippi. Yes. That's <laughs> just a great line, yeah. <laughs> Ask the alligator. His blood helped. Then on the diet of the blood of snakes, toads, and all the putrid life... Mississippi. Okay, so he ends up coming back. He survives. Uh-huh. And rather than just fucking letting them go and moving on with his life and, you know, maybe finding somebody new, he's got to get revenge. And that revenge fucks him over because they end up lighting him on fire. Yes. I don't like how easily he lights on fire. He just fire. goes right the fuck up. Is that how people light on fire? No, but it might be how vampires light. Vampires are fl- more flammable than humans, I guess. <laughs> True. But, like, if somebody threw a lit match at me. No. You would not just go up. No. Okay. <laughs> we've, you know, we've had, we have this fire pit in our backyard. <laughs> that would be very bad if that actually happened. <laughs> but so they escape. They light him on fire. They don't see what happens to him. They escape. They get on a boat and they go to Europe. Yes. And they go from country to country to country researching, mm-hmm. looking for anything about their people. And what do they find? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I love Louis's line. He's like, perhaps it was for the best. For what could the damned really have to say to the damned? Yeah, and there's a moment, too, when we go back to modern day, and Malloy is talking to Louis, and he's asking him all these questions about, you know, garlic and crucifixes. And he's like, actually, I think crucifixes are quite beautiful. Like, there's nothing. All the bullshit that you hear in the movies is just made up fantasy, including, like, Dracula never fucking existed. And he calls it the drunken ravings of a lunatic Irishman or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there are no vampires in Transylvania, no, no Count Dracula? Fictions, my friend. The vulgar fictions of a demented Irishman. Brom Stoker, which is <laughs> just really funny. But some of the things are true, like having to sleep in a coffin. Yes. Like they can't go out in sunlight. Yes. Uh, that stuff is true. So. But yeah, there aren't just like a society of vampires anywhere. 
Until. <laughs> Until he gives up the search for vampires, which is when a vampire finds him. There's like this whole coven of vampires living in Paris in a theater. And they put on these weird shows where they pretend to be humans pretending to be vampires. As Kirsten Dunst puts it, how avant-garde. Yes, which is great. A great line. The person he meets is Santiago, played by Stephen Ray, who's Irish. Buffoon. Yes, buffoon. (laughs) He's Irish, but he he plays a Frenchman in this. Uh, He was the main character in The Crying Game. Ah, okay. Uh, He's also uh, Finch in V for Vendetta. So, like, we've seen him before. You know, he's in the Underworld franchise, actually. Ah. (laughs) But so, basically, we, again, we don't get a ton of information, but again, neither does Louis. Yeah. Uh, We don't really understand what's going on here. Did Armand create these vampires? Did these vampires already exist and Armand found them? To be clear, Armand is Antonio Banderas. Like, there's a lot of confusion because with the character that we're presented as Armand, he seems like he's above this. And in fact, Kirsten Dunst at one point says he finds this place as dull and lifeless as we do. He wants you, Louis. But then why was he here in the Mm -hmm. first place? But he's like 800 years old or something like that. Yes. And as far as he's aware, he's the oldest vampire on Earth. Yes. Uh, And these are all in relation to him, very young vampires and they're living the decadent vampire life and it bores him. Well, because also they enjoy like torturing people Uh in front of other people. Yes. And, you know, and torturing people just for the hell of it. But this is going to come to a head because Santiago can read minds. Mm -hmm. And he hears about Lestat. Louis thinks about how he wronged Lestat. Like, because he's like, oh, shit, there aren't, like, the all these vampires fucking suck too. You know, maybe Lestat wasn't that bad in comparison. Maybe I've wronged him. And that's when Santiago is like, wrong too. You know, and it's like, starts to get interested and threatens him a little bit. And it's like, you know, the worst crime a vampire can commit is killing another vampire. It's the unforgivable crime. I also think, honey, that you've just been proven wrong about earlier you said the movie doesn't give any distinct answers about them being able to hypnotize, hypnotize and we do. We get confirmation here in the presentation that they do. Right, right, but, but he, we don't. He hypnotizes her to fall asleep and stuff. Well, yeah, he does, and it's but it's part of the performance as well. But yes, we know that person really is real. But I'm, what I'm saying is they talk about, they explicitly say that vampires can read minds. There is no line about hypnotism in the entire movie. Right. That's my point. Okay. Oh, we I didn't say, there's a couple of things that we did bypass. Santiago does this sort of like vaudeville act where he walks upside down. And this is when he calls him a buffoon. So they How did, did they do that? It's a rotating corridor again. But you can tell because the camera shakes as the corridor is moving. And it's moving with it. So the camera always looks like it's on the floor. It needs to be attached to the floor. So when the floor starts to move, the camera shakes a little bit. Mm. As it starts, that first jerky movement, it shakes a little bit. It's like, oh, man, it looks so good otherwise. (laughs) But it does vibrate a little bit. Also, the scene with the performance, Louis calls it monstrous. But it is cool as fuck. It is a incredibly messed up scene. And very affecting. 
Like it does its job very, very well. I always think about this scene as being one of the most fucked up scenes in the entire movie. It is. When they're on stage and they literally kill somebody in front of everyone else. And the woman calls out, oh, take me, take me instead. Because everyone thinks it's a performance. Mm -hmm. When they kill that woman on stage, everyone kind of leaves. Nobody thinks it's real, really, but they wonder. And they're really shaken up. And so it's a very affecting scene. So I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned that. But yes, they tell Louis, killing your own kind means death. Yeah. And so there's this relationship now building where Claudia is with Louis. Louis wants, he feels a pull towards Armand, who may have answers, at least more than Lestat ever had. But he needs to leave Claudia behind to do that. Yes, the so the vampires do not like Claudia because it's supposedly it's forbidden to change someone as young as they are. She's an abomination in their eyes, basically. Yes. Because she cannot be controlled. You know, she's a child. Yes. With great power. Yes. And so Armand is fine with lose. He wants Louis to leave Claudia behind. He also doesn't care that he killed Lestat because Armand knew Lestat. And Lestat was a fuckhead. Knew enough of him to not mourn his past. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't he doesn't care that Lestat's dead, but he does think that Claudia needs to die. So if he wants her to live, she needs to go. Which is so silly because he has no idea what's going on between Louis and Claudia. Claudia sees what's going on and Claudia's like, all right, fine, I'll let you go. But, Go and be with Armand. Give me someone else. But Armand is not aware of that. And Armand is not willing to wait and see what happens and all that. So instead, he just allows them to murder well, Claudia. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you say allows, which is which is fair. I don't think it's his command at the very least. I think he's like, you need to get her out of here as soon as possible. And he doesn't realize that their plan is to turn somebody so she can have a mother. And then leave that way. Armand is like, get her out of here now. And they don't get it done in time for the rest of the this coven of vampires to take them. But it is enough time for Louis to do something that he never wanted to do ever, especially after Claudia turned. Yes, he claims that was the last bit of humanity left. They find a woman who lost her child, wanted to die which is exactly uh-huh. what the author was going through. When exactly. She this. Yes. Which is when you know that it's really fucking heartbreaking. But yeah, she's like, "Do you know what she is?" And instead of saying, "Yeah, she's a vampire," this lady says, "Yeah, she's a kid who will never die." A daughter who cannot die. Uh-huh. And he does change her and when she's going through the pain of the change which everyone goes through, He says to her as he's laying out there on the balcony, bear me no ill will, my love. We are now even. And Claudia says, what do you mean? After she asks about like what's going on with her and she's like, oh, she's changing. You went through it too, but you were too young to to remember it. He says, what died in that room was not that woman. Bear me no ill will, my love. We are now even. What do you mean? died in that room was not that woman. What has died is the the last breath in me. That was human. 
And Claudia says, in response, really fucking petty and childlike, Yes, Father. At last we are even. And that's the exact moment that these fucking clown vampires show up and take all three of them away. There's a couple of things I do want to touch on before we move into that scene. I love, I love Claudia's line when he comes home and she's showing him, you know, I brought this woman home and I want you to change her. Claudia says, your evil is that you cannot be evil and I will suffer for it no longer. Yeah. It's great. Mm -hmm. Your evil is that you cannot be evil and you've ruined my life uh as a vampire because you can't be evil. Uh It's it's very good. And so that's what he ends up doing is he ends up sacrificing even his own humanity, his own goodness in order to be good to Claudia. And she runs to him crying. Do this before you leave me. Uh And I love his look. His look is that of any father that's ever been talked into doing something Uh that they don't want to do because their daughter started crying about it. And he knows the daughter's crying on purpose and he knows that he can't call her out on it. It was it's so good. It's really it's a great look. We also we didn't talk about at this scene when he's lying. I think it's when he's lying on the uh, the railing outside on their balcony where she kisses him. They have a kiss and she was like 11 or something at the time. And she said in interviews that she hated it. It was gross because, you know, yeah, we know Brad Pitt is this stunningly beautiful man, but she's like, I was 11. He had cooties. (laughs) That's really funny. Apparently Tom Cruise still sends her, like a cake every year on Should her be birthday or something like that. Should be a doll. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a little bit too creepy. <laughs> but yeah, so like, it just seems so ridiculous because if Armand had just fucking waited, he could have had him. Well, that's the thing. I don't think it's Armand waiting. I, he's not sending them. I think he, what he's talking about is he can't control these people. He doesn't want to control them. He doesn't want anything to do with them anymore. He has grown tired of them. And he he could hold them off as long as he could. And he couldn't hold them any longer. It just seems bizarre to me that they... Okay, so when they murder Claudia, which we will talk about in a little bit, that makes sense to me. Why they don't just straight up murder Louis is probably because Armand would not have been okay with it. Yeah, Armand's fine with killing Claudia. But why on earth would they not think that Brad Pitt would retaliate? Even if they think, well, well, Armand won't let him. He still might. Or they're arrogant and they think that uh, there's no way for him to get out. They underestimate Armand's interest in... But they're not surprised at all when Armand lets him out. When he walks out of there staring at them yeah. and the guy's like, yeah, what are you going to do? I think that's the point is he's like, what are you going to do? They are arrogant. It's their arrogance that is going to be their undoing. I just don't understand why they would be so arrogant. I don't. And I don't know why, why they is, wouldn't. Why is anyone arrogant? I guess. I guess. It just seems odd to underestimate a vampire. So, yeah. So what happens is they carry them off in opposite directions when they get to their underground lair. They put Louis in a coffin that is sealed from the outside, and then they brick him up inside of a wall, and they take Claudia and her new mom and put them in a well. It's terrible. It is the other 
worst, I say worst in quotes, it's not a bad scene, but it's, it's terrible uh, in this movie is them being put in a well and come noon or whenever they're going to turn to dust and they, there's nothing they can do about it. Like it is, oh, heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking and it's, oh, when, when Brad Pitt walks in and sees her as Ash, uh-huh. he does an incredible job. Uh-huh. I, it's very real. It's very sad. He cries here and then he cries in in real time as well. It's like, oh, I didn't know that vampires, vampires could cry. cry. Maybe once, maybe twice. Yeah. And in the books, they cry blood. It is, it's a really heart-wrenching scene. It is. That's why it feels so good when he comes back and kills them. Now, does he kill them a little too easily in my mind? Yeah. Yeah, he just sets the whole place on fire. He sets the, they come bursting out and they're on fire. He gets into a fight with Santiago, but Armand is nowhere to be found. And he doesn't go after Armand. He doesn't even go into Armand's room or anything. And he goes outside and he's like, yeah, fuck all these guys. They're all dying, including Santiago. But now he's outside and it's, and it's almost, daytime. almost daylight. He's starting to get hurt, but he almost doesn't even care. Mm-hmm. And then Armand comes up in a carriage that has blacked out windows. It's like a funeral carriage. Yeah. And it's like, get in here right now. I'm going to save you. I love the horses with the funeral things on them. Yeah. The big uh-huh. feather and stuff. Yep. And there's this like little boy that they're. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about this. Room he has a become, thrall, which yeah. they feed on occasionally and is always there. It's a, the point is, is that. I think he's going to turn him into a vampire. Eventually. eventually yeah. But. I think it's supposed to communicate to us that even though Armand might be something that all these other vampires look up to and that Louis is thinking about looking up to, vampires have a completely different morality due to the way they need to eat, the the amount of time that they live. Like, they just stop caring about humanity. And that's Louis's problem. They're going to go to, I guess it's Armand's home or it's a museum or something where there's all this art. They're going to have a conversation about the decadence of, of younger vampires and why Armand had tired of this coven of vampires and he didn't care that they died. He thought they probably should die. He just wanted Louis, who seemed like he actually – he had something behind the eyes is is kind of what Armand's – yes, you're beautiful and you're interesting. Not like these fuckheads who got on my nerves. And Louis explains to him, I mean, he doesn't say it in these terms, but basically, the reason you love me is the reason I'm walking away. Yeah. You love me for my humanity, but all you can all you can provide me with is losing that humanity. Yeah. You can teach me how to lose that humanity, but why would I want to do that? Yeah. So mm-hmm. he he basically says, you know, I'm gonna leave you. And Armand says, Louis, I will die. He's like, I just killed all of my companions for you. And Louis' response is, no, you are dead. Louis. Yes. Who is dying? No, you are dead. And you want me to quicken you once more. And as much as your invitation might appeal to me, I must regretfully decline great awesome yeah this is what i'm saying it's very poetic the lines are fantastic if you're okay with it being overwrought and emo 
there's it's really beautiful. Yeah, and it's interesting that again, you love me for my humanity and yet you wanted to take away one of the things that made me human. Yeah. Why do I want to stay with someone who wants to strip me of the thing that he supposedly loves about me? Yeah. Oh, I, I, there's a note I have here that we didn't get to. Could you imagine being that lady? Oh. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <sighs> like, you finally get turned. You get everything you wanted. A daughter who can't die. You turn. And the moment you become a vampire, you are sentenced to death <laughs> in that sun well. Yes. <laughs> You didn't even know all these other vampires existed. You have no idea what why you're even being grabbed. <laughs> yep. It's a bad day for a vampire. <laughs> so what happens to Louis now that he has left Armand? So after that, Louis just kind of starts wandering around kind mm -hmm. of aimlessly. He does return to New Orleans, which is where he sees Lestat. But there's there's this great montage of moments where he talks about he's even though he'll never see a sunrise again, like his last sunrise, he didn't realize would be the last sunrise. He's seen many before that, but he doesn't remember any of them except for the last one he saw. He finally gets to see it again with the advent of film. And he talks about going to the movies and he's like, ah, first it's in black and white and then it's in purples and, and uh, reds and with Gone with the Wind and then his love, his lovely blue. Because he talks about seeing the oceans of, uh, of Europe and he expected them to be blue, but because he could only go there at night, they're all black. So now he finally gets to see his blue and we see Superman, Christopher Reeve, eh? uh, totally unintended, <laughs> uh, flying around Earth and seeing the sun come from the other side of earth and it's all blue and beautiful. So he finally gets to see sunrises again, thanks to modern conveniences. But yeah, he starts just walking around eighties, new Orleans, Nolens, or his way of saying new Orleans is so fucked. <laughs> it's so weird. I'm going to play it right here. It's stupid. I was Creole after all. And Paris was the mother of new Orleans. Anyway, and he just like he walks by all these like mausoleums and stuff like that. The thing about Louisiana is all these areas that are close to the Gulf of Mexico, especially New Orleans. It's why Hurricane Katrina was so devastating is it's actually below sea level and yet so close to the sea. Oh, we learned about that. Didn't we learn about that in that fucking Victor Crowley movie? We don't ever bury our dead here because they get up and walk around and somebody goes... Yeah. Oh, yes. Isn't that because of the, the sun? Yeah, no. Catch it. Yes. Because uh -huh. they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, but he starts walking by all these mausoleums and we're seeing like exposed skeletons and shit everywhere. And then he goes to the old house that he was in with, uh, with, with Lestat and there's dead bodies in this house. And it's like, why are there just fucking dead bodies lying around 1988 New Orleans? I didn't notice that. I noticed the dead rats. No, they're bodies. I didn't know. Skeletons bodies. and shit like that. I've never noticed that. Maybe I'm wrong. I will, either way, I will post it to Twitter and I will comment on whether it's a human or not. But yes, he finds Lestat there. And Lestat is, he looks terrible. He's obviously been getting by on animals and shit like that. The same thing that he mocked Louis for. When Louis starts to approach, he pushes his chair away that he's sitting in, but he doesn't get up because he's very weak and he's scared. He's terrified. And when a helicopter comes by and shines a light in the house for no good goddamn reason, 
he's terrified of that too. And Louis has to point out it's fake light. It can't False hurt light. you. Yeah. And he just leaves him there. Yeah. But again, like, I'm not totally sure what Louis's been doing. I mean, Lestat's been doing all this time. Mm-hmm. But sure. But I think that he, the fact that he was just left there, how disrespectful that is, <laughs> probably is what spurred Lestat into following him to San Francisco eventually. Uh, we don't know. Maybe he was following him this whole time. And that's why he's in New Orleans. And, and it's not just that, oh, Louis just happened to show up in New Orleans, just happened to walk by his old house, and Lestat just happened to be there. Maybe that's where Lestat was staying because he was following Louis. We don't know. Because Louis doesn't know, and he's the one telling the story. Except for the end. Yeah, Louis just says, you know, he looks down on Lestat now. He realizes, I can't believe I ever thought I needed you. And he just fucking leaves him. Which will be his undoing. Uh, Well, not his undoing. (laughs) No, not his undoing. But maybe. I don't know. I haven't read any other books. So... Back, Back modern in times. modern time, San Francisco, uh, and they're wrapping up the interview, and Malloy is like, you have to turn me. Turn me. I want to be a vampire. And this is when he has that line, dear God, I've failed again, haven't I? Dear God, I've failed again, haven't I? And Slater's like, do you know what people would do for your power? And he's just like, you have not been listening to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> have you not heard any of my story? This fucking sucks. Basically, Louis gets so mad that he almost kills Slater. And he's like, do you like this? Does this feel good? And he goes, no. And so Louis leaves him. Mm-hmm. So in a mad rush of excitement... Malloy gets in his car, he immediately puts the tape back in, starts back over. He's like, oh, this is such good stuff. And bitten. Yes. Out comes Lestat from like his back seat or whatever. And I assume I need no, no introduction. introduction. <laughs> yeah. I assume I need no introduction. And uh, bites him, puts him in the passenger seat and starts to drive. He pulls out the dirty ruffles from his sleeves. We were talking about before. Why is he still wearing the same thing? And he he hates he changes. He changes the radio because he's like, oh, he's still bitching and moaning. Louis, Louis, still whining. <laughs> if you don't mind, I've had to listen to this for centuries. <laughs> and he changes it. And what's playing? It's Sympathy the Devil by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Which is an odd choice, but if you think about the fact that they were going to have a share ballot originally, <laughs> like, eh, maybe, I don't know. And he drives away as the sun is coming up, though, and he's in a convertible. I don't know. But yes, they closed down two lanes in the Golden Gate Bridge for this. But I would be very curious to see how that w- would turn out, like, what would happen. Yeah. But Not yeah. curious enough to read the books. <laughs> I actually might someday if I have the time. But yeah, no, this movie is utterly fantastic. 99%. So close to being 100. Well, now that we're talking about ratings, we've droned on and on about the movie. I guess there's nothing else we want to say about it, right? It's amazing. Okay. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Like an 83. Try 63. (gasps) Despite lacking some of the book's subtler shadings. Oh my god. And suffering from some clumsy casting. Oh my god. Interview with a vampire. Oh no. 
benefits from Neil Jordan's atmospheric direction and a surfeit of gothic thrills. Metacritic of 59, but a cinema score of B+, that seems much more reasonable. That seems much more realistic, yes. But from the reviewer perspective, the professional reviewer... It's on the positive side, but not great. Underrated, no. definitely, right? Extremely underrated. What do you think it should... What, what would you give it? I'm giving it a 99. All right. It is so close to being 100. It is so, so close. There's just the tiniest little things. Like when he fights, I, I, I kind of said it doesn't make sense when he fights all the vampires, how easy it is mm-hmm. that he just kills them all. Specifically, there's a scene at the very end when he kills the guy, buffoon. Um, (laughs) It doesn't make any fucking sense. He, Brad Pitt has a scythe. Yeah, from their stage play. (laughs) And he's ready to kill the guy. The guy knows he wants to kill him. He really quickly, you know, he does the fast vampire movement, gets right in front of Brad Pitt, and then And Brad Pitt just swings. Yeah. Brad Pitt swings and chops him. It's like you knew he was going to go for that and you didn't react. You yeah, didn't try to prevent it. The direction there was a little like, what? <laughs> what just yeah. happened? But. Yeah. I'll give it a 94. It's poetic. It was released in 94. Ah. But I think it's absolutely 90s level as far as a rating is concerned. This movie is so good. The acting, I'm sorry. I think the acting is great. I think that Tom Cruise does a great job. I think Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt does is, a fine job. I'm not saying that he's as good as Tom Cruise, but it's I his think voice he's that fine. I just can't stand in this movie. I just can't stand it. Kirsten Dunst is incredible. She is incredible. Antonio Banderas is fine. It's totally fine. I just think it is such a fascinating look at this mm-hmm. creature that we have developed as this evil, scary thing. What if he's just a human who's been fucked over? Yeah, they're just these incredibly evocative visuals, scenes, characters, dialogue, themes. It's like it just does so much right that you could just overlook all the things that are that you're like, eh. you know? <laughs> it's just really easy to overlook that stuff. Uh, just because of everything that it does right. I had a poster of this movie up in my... Uh-huh. It's the poster that everyone knows. No, it's not. Right? It's not the one... That, the one that everyone knows is it's of Tom her... Cruise's face. Yeah, Tom Cruise's face. It's kind of half shown. And then you can see um, Kirsten Dunst doing one of her kills in the in the yeah. foreground. No. No, no. I had a dope-ass poster that was, uh, and it had to have Kirsten Dunst. I was like, it needs to have Kirsten Dunst's face on it, or why the fuck would I want this? And it was Kirsten Dunst holding Brad Pitt when she is convincing him to change the woman or something. I have it. It's in this house somewhere. Well, sure. (laughs) I called it out when the shot happened. I was like, that's my poster. And it was in black and white, too. That is 1994's Interview with the Vampire. The Vampire Chronicles. Because, <laughs> you know, it's part of a larger franchise. Um, before we get into our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. A litter of cuddly creatures transform into deadly monsters after the three rules for their care are ignored in this 1984 film. Gremlins. Kelsey. Yeah. Every primary character in What We Do in the Shadows is based off of a cinematic vampire. Can you identify them? 
So I'm pretty sure the main guy is supposed to be a Louis. He's not a great Louis. Viago is Louis de Pontelac from Interview with a Vampire. Yes. But, you um, know, that sort of dandy fop, right. you know, 1700s sort of character. Yes. Uh, the one played by the guy from the bird show. <laughs> the Flight of the bird Concords. show. Vladislav, yes. He's supposed to be the one from Braun Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, Gary Oldman, yeah. And the other one. Oh! Well, there are three more. Oh, well, of course, there's there's uh, the one that's supposed to be Nosferatu. Peter, yeah. The old, old one. Count Orlock. I, I guess you mean the other two are the other two guys, right? The one yeah. who hangs upside down and the one that they turn. Yeah. Uh, the one so who there's hang- Deacon. Is that the one who hangs up, upside yes. down? Yes. I don't know what he's supposed to be. I said it out loud when we first saw him. He was hanging upside down. He was wearing like a leather Boys? jacket. Yes, he's David from the Lost Boys. Okay, that would But he's sense. older. He's from Romania. He's from a long time ago. But, you know, he's the one who thinks he's very young and hip and wears the cool jackets and stuff. Yeah. And then the last one. Is he supposed to be like Twilight? He is Edward from Twilight. Nick. Well, because... He constantly makes reference to how he's like, oh, like in Twilight, like in Twilight. There is a deleted scene that's not in the actual movie where him and Deacon are just sitting outside talking and then the sun comes up and their hands catch on fire. No, it's like, in the movie. No. Yes, it is. Them talking is in the movie, but not this line. They start to catch on fire and he says, I thought we would sparkle. Yeah, that was in a deleted scene that we watched after the movie. Oh. Yeah. I thought I was meant to sparkle. <laughs> and he constantly talks about Twilight, 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 Twilight. Missing scene. Yeah. <laughs> so that brings us to 2014's What We Do in the Shadows, written, directed, and starring Jermaine Clement and Taika Watiti, but also Johnny Brug. I guess that's how you pronounce his name. Corey Gonzalez uh, McCure. It's based on an original short by Jermaine Clement and uh, Taika Watiti. What We Do in the Shadows, colon, interviews with some vampires, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now that we're watching it for this episode. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. I don't think we're really going to have to go through this by plot point. because no. There isn't really a plot. It's just following these characters around. Well, that's what I'm asking. What is it about? Yeah, it's a documentary about these unlikely vampire uh, roommates. Or flatmates, as they say. And just kind of what their life is like. In Wellington, New Zealand. And making fun (laughs) of the fact that it's nothing like what you would imagine a vampire's life would actually be like. Uh Uh-huh. You can watch it for free if you have a subscription to Hoopla. You can rent it for $4 or buy it for $6 to $13. It's $6 on Amazon and Vudu. Should people watch What We Do in the Shadows? Yeah, I thought it was great. Absolutely. I thought it was very if you're, good. If you're listening to this show and you haven't seen it, you should see it. It didn't make me like laugh out loud a ton, but it's extremely clever. Yeah. And just every line it is very clever. And so like like I said, maybe I'm not sitting there like guffawing the whole time, but it is making it's making me laugh like a madman inside my head. Yeah. And it kept my attention the entire film. I wanted to watch the entire thing. I was never like, this is taking too long. I'm it's bored. also very sweet in a funny way. There's some interesting stuff that happens, like, intellectually. Like, of course, they tackle the tropes, 
you know, but they start they start to like investigate things like, oh, if this was real life, how would this actually play out? You know, how would you keep your place clean? You know, things like that. But also the relationships that they have. We have trouble getting into clubs because we need to be invited, invited in. <laughs> yes. All that stuff is great. Stu, the human that they just fall in love with, who, by the way, his entire filmography, his real name is Stu. His entire filmography is the original short, this movie, and Boy, uh, which is a Taika Waititi movie. Uh, and that's it, because he's not an actor. He's literally like an IT guy. It's like what he does. <laughs> so I thought that that was really, uh, that's really funny. The the relationships that they have are really evocative. I think it does a lot of stuff really well and then manages to be funny the entire time. Even with the stuff that's like supposed to be either heartbreaking or sweet, it's still funny the entire time. And I think that's what you get when you combine Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. I think they do a great job of it. Anyway, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2014's What We Do in the Shadows. Wake up, everyone! A wakey, wakey! We're gonna have a little flat meeting in the kitchen. Okay. When you get the four vampires in a flat, obviously there's going to be a lot of tension. Hello, ladies. Vladislav used to be extremely powerful. He would kill anybody, burning everything. It's totally great. This is my torture chamber. Great orgies. 20, 30 women. He could hypnotize crowds of people. See me. See me. Hi, my name is Nick. I've been a vampire for two months. Vampire! Vampire! <laughs> the neighbors can see you flying around. You want to draw attention to this house, hmm? You've got a whole documentary crew following you around. Smell werewolves. Why don't you go smell your own crutches, huh? Bitch. Go square. Yeah. What are we? Werewolves, we're not werewolves. Take it. This is a private secret society, mate. You don't go bringing your bloody cameras into everything. You will not eat the camera right. guy. Maybe I'm one not camera about guy. here. Just been killed in the fate of sunlight. I said the head. We're just responding to a rather large amount of shrieking. Smells a bit weird in here too. What do you call that? Barbecue. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does what we do in the shadows begin? We get some text. First, it's the New Zealand Documentary Board <laughs> has apparently funded this documentary. Yes. And it explains that every year there's the unholy masquerade and only people of a certain society get to go. And they got to watch a small group of the, of this society a couple months before the unholy masquerade. And you think that the unholy masquerade is going to be this big deal. It's this cheap, shitty dance that they yeah. have. <laughs> uh, it explains that the crew were granted protection and all wore crucifixes throughout the filming of the documentary. Yeah. 
But it makes no sense because their whole thing is they don't want anybody to know about them. So why would they make a documentary about themselves? Well, because I think these particular characters are very excited about, you know, being in a documentary. But yes, you're right. They do talk about a lot about not being revealed to be vampires. The neighbors can see you flying around the house. Do you want to draw attention to this house, hmm? You've got a whole documentary crew following you around. We are introduced to Viago, who is 479 years old. 379, I think. Uh, whatever. I can write it wrong. Uh, and that's Taika Waititi. Yes. And he's great throughout the whole film. Oh, he's great. He's kind of our main character. Yeah. He's the one who's most open to be uh, filmed. He's also the most sincere. Yes. He's just explaining that, you know, just like you would in any documentary, I like having a good time with my friends. Uh-huh. And we start to meet. So he's the first one who gets up at 6 p.m. It's really uh-huh. cute. How he has the alarm his goes alarm off at 6. And he reaches out of the coffin to hit it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we meet the next one who is hanging upside down. That's Deacon. He's something like 183 years old. I didn't catch the number exactly. I might be wrong on that one, but he's something like 183. He sleeps upside down in a closet. Yeah. And he asks him, like, how was your night or something? He's like, oh, it was great. I turned into a dog and, and had, had sex, sex with some dogs. <laughs> how was your night last night? I transformed into a dog and had sex. Cool. He goes downstairs to wake up the oldest one, who is 8,000 years old, That's Peter. Peter, Yeah. Who does not like being woken up. <laughs> but he's excited about the chicken that's being brought to him. Yeah. And and Viago is like, did you want to clean up? I, I was just thinking I could bring down like a broom so you could clean up some of the... Yeah. Because he's left like a corpse on the floor and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, bones and shit. Deacon is the supposedly young and hip one. Yeah, at 183. He explains how he got turned by Peter. So Peter just likes to turn people. Yeah. It's kind of Peter's thing. So he, he the, only really one talks. the only one who's not from Romania or thereabouts is Viago. But Deacon, Vladislav, who we haven't met yet, and Peter are all from like Romania, Transylvania, that kind of stuff. But yeah, so we do meet Vladislav. When he wakes him up, he's got all the women having sex with him in the red... In, in a big red sheet on, on the, the wall ceiling. or on the ceiling. Or so yeah, uh-huh. it's very much like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh-huh. He is 862 years old. He talks about how in his he's really into torture. And he how, used to be. Yeah, he used to be really into torture. They used to He liked to poke things. They called him Vladislav the Poker. When I first became a vampire... I was quite tyrannical. I was known for uh, torturing a lot of people. I tended to torture when I was in a bad place. My thing was I would poke someone with implements. I was known as Vladislav the Poker. Vlad the Impaler. Yes. And it's funny because later when they're setting up a Facebook account, they're like, you can (laughs) poker. He's like, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we can look at her photos. Oh, yes. Or we could poke her. Yes. But so they're having a flatmate meeting because Viago is sick of having to clean up after his... Deacon, yeah. After his flatmate Deacon, because Deacon refuses to clean up his dishes and... 
you know, Viago's, they have like a chore wheel and yeah. And Viago's so like, mundane. you know, you could always put newspapers down. And Vladislav's like, real vampires do not put down newspapers. But then we see a moment later where Viago is killing somebody and sets up yeah, newspapers some, everywhere. Some vampires do. <laughs> <laughs> we find out. So, okay, at this flat meeting, they get into a fight. And they turn into bats, and or <laughs> are they bats here? Or I don't know. They they fight in midair. It's yeah, very they, funny. They fight in midair. Yeah. And when when Viago comes down, he like knocks the table, uh-huh. <laughs> and Vladislav gives a look at the camera, very much like in you know the office. Yeah, like, or oh any of those God. other sort of mockumentary shows. Yeah, mugging to the camera. Yes. But so Viago explains that he came to New Zealand for love. It's a shame that we don't ever get to find out why the others came to New Zealand. Yeah, that's a good point. But he came here because he was in love with this girl. But it took him a year and a half to get there because his servant fucked up on the postage. Yeah. His thrall or familiar, as they call them. And witches' familiars are like animals, but in, in with vampires, familiars are the humans that do their bidding. Yes, the humans that do all the stuff that they don't have time to do mm-hmm. during the daytime. Cleaning up, getting, you know, getting victims, that kind of shit. Yeah, we, we end up meeting Deacon's familiar, Jackie, who has been promised that she'll be turned by Deacon someday. That's kind of what they do. They promise we'll turn you into a vampire and then they just never do. Uh-huh. Like so later he'll see his old servant. Yes. And his old and he's servant. He's like 90 something. Yeah. yeah, he's like I'm 91 years old. You said you would turn me into a vampire and he just kind of hangs up hangs on up him. on him. <laughs> so this is just a thing they do. Uh-huh. But so during the time that he it took for him to get to New Zealand, she had met and married another person. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I could have killed him, but she was happy, so... Yeah, and I didn't want to ruin her happiness. Yes, so it makes sense that he's the Louis. He's charged by love and humanity, kind yeah. of. Kind of. They have, like, a band, and he's... Yes. The, and Viago's the worst one. Uh-huh. <laughs> this random little some scene. horn, I can't remember what. Vladislav <laughs> is playing this sort of, like, a... Like a lute, which is which is fitting because it's Jermaine Clement who plays the guitar, obviously, in Flight of the Concords. Uh, and uh, Deacon plays a standing bass. Is it the Concords that they're bad? They're a bad band, yes, but th- they know how to play their instruments. Okay. They're like a, a New Zealand version of Tenacious D, basically. <laughs> we see them getting ready to go out vampire style and it's it's very silly because none of them have very much like an interview with the vampire none of them have stuck with the times Uh so they're all wearing ridiculous clothes and it's funny because they have to be invited into places which means they can't go to certain places they end up going to this vampire hangout which they'd have a standing invitation to enter and it's this shitty shitty bar Uh with like nobody in it Yeah. yeah we meet the woman who works for them, for Deacon. Deacon, yeah. And he asks her, you know, bring us some virgins. Uh, we're going to have a big dinner party, get them all dressed up, and we'll eat them. And she explains, you know, I've been working for him for four and a half years. I would expect to him have, to have turned me by now. 
Later, we're going to find out that she's like a married mom. Yeah, she's a mom and has a husband. It is yeah. so bizarre. It's a very strange. She was actually pregnant while filming this in real life. Okay. But so she ends up bringing these two people. Well, first of all, they explain why they want virgins. <laughs> they like virgin blood. And we as we said earlier, Deacon comments about, I think we drink virgin blood because it sounds cool. <laughs> And then Vlad has this great line. He's basically talking about, it's a metaphor for why dudes like virgins, having sex with virgins, you know? So he says, I think of it like this. If you're going to eat a sandwich, you would just enjoy it more if you knew no one had fucked it. <laughs> I think we drink virgin blood because it sounds cool. I think of it like this. If you're going to eat a sandwich... You would just enjoy it more if you knew no one had fucked it. We also get to see one of Viago's kills and how he, like, tries to make it a nice experience uh -huh, yep. for them before they die. But then he hits the main artery and it's just, you know, going everywhere. Yeah, he's already put newspapers <laughs> down, but when he hits the main artery, the blood spurts out, so it goes everywhere. <laughs> we find out that Vladislav used to be this really great, like, hypnotist. With his powers, but ever since he lost to the beast, yes, he can. He no longer has the strength that he used to have. Throughout the movie, we're going to see, I have no idea how many of these are legitimate. Some of them are, as a matter of fact, like real artwork. I know that at least. I can't confirm that all of them are. But we see these like old etchings and things like that. And we see somebody fighting this monster wolf looking thing or whatever. It's the beast. It's Vladislav's. Nemesis, who we only hear referenced as the Beast. Yes. So they invite these two people over. Her, his Deacon's familiar does. One of them is a girl and one of them is a boy. And the dude they keep fucking with. They're like, look at your noodles. Uh -huh. Are they worms now? Yeah. And he freaks out like they are. They are, yeah. They, they say, we stole that from the Lost Boys. Yes. <laughs> so this is my favorite trick. We present our guest with a plate of boschetti. And then I will say, why don't you eat some boschetti? Please, Nick, eat some boschetti. I didn't realize you enjoyed eating worms, Nick. No, no. They are worms. <laughs> There's worms wiggling around in my plate. It is worm-like, but it's not actually worms. We stole that idea from the Lost Boys, but I put a nice twist on it. Nick. How does it feel to have a snake for a penis? There are a lot of fun, bizarre things here that happen when they're chasing after him. Oh, yeah. The girl just kind of unceremoniously dies. She, Yeah, she's murdered. Yeah. And he, they keep fucking with him, so he's like, I'm out of here. But when he can't, he can't get out, all the doors are locked. Uh -huh. So they're chasing him around and... Like we said, Vladislav's powers have been weakened. So when he turns into animals, it still he can't has get the face right. He can't yeah. get the face right. So we get to see this bizarre cat with uh, Vladislav's face, <laughs> and it's hilarious. We get to see this awesome 
thing, and we saw how they do it, do it with the backpack. Even with the backpack, it where is, Deacon comes out of his backpack that he's wearing. It is an incredibly simple thing that they did, but it looks amazing. Yeah, I mean, they, they filmed most of it in the dark, and there is some computer work after the fact. Oh, there is. Well, well like when he's crawling on the ground, they cut out his his legs. But when they just shoot it, it's just lit in just the right way. He's just standing in a full body bag, and the top part looks like a backpack. And then he puts it on. Nick puts on the backpack. And so he's just fighting that way. But yeah, when he crawls along the ground, they did take out his legs that way. It looked great, it though. It looks great, yes. Like I was like, holy shit, how did they do that? It's and really then you saw it, and you're like, that's how they did that? <laughs> but so... They chase him outside. He finally gets outside. And as they're running to get him, Peter comes out of nowhere and tackles him. Oh, right, right, right. He is. And they're like, oh, Peter got him. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> and so they just walk away. Uh, it's Peter's catch. It's Peter's kill. What they find out two months later is that he turned him. Yes. We find out two months later that he t- they that Peter turned him and now he's a new vampire. He's flying outside the window. There's this extended gag where he's trying to get in the window, but he's he can't like quite make it in the window. It's pretty funny. Why don't you just take the front door? Because I can fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but everyone can see you flying outside. Yeah, so he <laughs> is going to be the one who's really excited to tell everyone he's a vampire. And that's going to cause a lot of strife for our vampire characters. mm. But he has this awesome friend, Stu. Yes. Who is just this good guy that they all just love. Uh He dated my sister for a while, then they broke up. I don't know why, but now he's my mate. (laughs) Yeah. And he's just just an unassuming sweet dude who's just Uh like, all right, you're vampires. Just hanging out. Yeah. Uh So they're walking around, and they... Run into some werewolves, and yes. uh-oh, some shit might go down. One of the best lines in the entire movie. It's very similar to what's in Finding Dory, where there's the sharks that have their own, you know, thing. Now, granted... Fish are friends, not food. Yes. Granted, this movie did take them years to write, and... The original short came out in like 2005 or something like that. So I don't know. I'm not saying anybody copied anybody, but it's a similar thing. And it works really well here with the line, we're werewolves, not swearwolves, which is great. <laughs> Count to 10, human again. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't swear. Sorry. They, they yeah. We're werewolves, not swearwolves. What are we? So like when they get mad, they start to change and they can count themselves down, but yeah, they they don't like swearing. It's very cute. Here's the thing about the werewolves. We're going to find out exactly why it would make a lot of sense for this to happen uh, later on, but there has been a long-rumored sequel to this movie instead of what we do in the Moonlight, which is the original rumored sequel following the werewolves, it's werewolves. As in W-E apostrophe R-E, Weirwolves. Uh-huh. And it has a little bit of a New Zealand accent in there, Weirwolves. <laughs> but according to Taika Waititi, he's like, it, it's never going to get made. Aww. I know. He's like, it's the sort of thing where we always talk about it. It's something we'd want to do, but 
we just have so much going on in other parts of our lives. Like it's, we're never going to come back and do this. I mean, the last movie took us seven years to write. So imagine how long this is going to take us. So yeah, unfortunately it would be a cool concept. Not happening. There's a fun bit where they pretend to throw a ball and one of them runs after it. And they howl at the moon. It's very funny. Yeah. It's all well done. It basically, <laughs> Nick has to convince Peter not to turn Stu. Yes. He explains, you know, please don't kill him. Everybody likes him. I think they like him more than they like me, to be perfectly yeah. honest. And they really do, because Stu's, like, showing them all the technology. He's an IT specialist, works for a geographical location service, whatever. He has a whole speech about what he does. But he's like... Showing them how to do things, look up things on the internet, and bringing them into the the modern century. But he says to him, please don't change him. He's a vegetarian. I don't think he'd like this kind of lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so they all love him. Yeah, there's knitting scarves for him and stuff, which is funny because when when he's helping them turn on the internet, (laughs) Taika Waititi is like, I lost a very nice scarf in 1912. <laughs> yeah. Google yes, it! Google it! <laughs> Anything you want to find, you... Yeah. You write... You write I lost a really nice silk scarf in about oh, 1912. Yeah. Yes, now Google and it. It's really funny, especially since Deacon is, is the one who knits, and uh, he hates Nick. Because Nick is the new young vampire, mm-hmm. and he he wears some of the same fashion and stuff like that, so he has a real big problem with Nick. But everyone, including Deacon, fucking loves Stu. Yes. Nick is telling everyone that he's a vampire, which makes Deacon go crazy, and they end up having a bat fight. Yeah, bat fight! Bat fight! <laughs> which makes... Nick mad, so he tries to fuck with some people and, and like, make it look like worms. Make it look like yeah. worms. And they're like, you can't do that. It only works with food that looks like worms already, <laughs> like like noodles and, yeah. <laughs> so then Nick tries to eat some fries and vomits up a ton of blood. And he's just like, I hate being a vampire. <laughs> yeah, he finally learns that it's not so great being a vampire. Uh, but he's telling everyone, and at one point this guy says... Oh, yeah, I'm a vampire hunter. And he's like, yeah, good one, mate. And, you know, just kind of leaves. But that's going to come back to haunt him later. But, yeah, he will regret that because that vampire hunter is going to show up. And while Peter is able to murder the vampire hunter, Peter's killed by the sunlight. Yes. Sets him on fire. It's this great moment. The classic bit of throwing a tiny little bucket of water and on a giant fire. it doesn't even reach him. Yeah. Uh-huh. But so Peter dies and Deacon gets really pissed because Peter's Everyone's the one that's upset. Right, but Peter is Deacon's maker, and Nick's too, and Nick's responsible for his death now. So when he finds out, they get into another fight, and we have another rotating room where they do the fight in this one too. <laughs> Around this time, though, police officers show up. Yeah, because they're making so much loud noise that the cops have been sent for, and Viago says to them as they're walking in, you will not notice anything out of the ordinary. And then he tells the camera, I'm not the best hypnotizer. They could come back into it at any time. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> so it's really funny how there's several moments and it gets funny because it's the same joke over and over again, but just seeing how the joke is going to manifest this next time is what makes it funny. So when like Deacon's up in a corner floating on the ceiling or whatever, they're like, hey, what's that? What do they, it's like, 
some there's no fire alarms yes no fire alarms up there yeah which is great because later they they go into another room and they do the same bit Uh uh-huh when there's the corpse of the vampire hunter and vladislav goes yes there are as if there are Uh fire things in there and they're like oh good yes you you do have fire alarms in here and they're like i don't want them to find out viago says because i don't want them to kill the cops because it's only going to bring more attention on us but the other reason they come to find out is like, well, even if we did kill them, let's let them look around a little bit more so they can find more safety hazards that we can fix. <laughs> Those two characters, uh, played by Karen O'Leary and Mike Minogue, who are officers O'Leary and Minogue, have their own show now. So there is actually a spinoff show <laughs> called Wellington Paranormal, and it's about these two officers, and Taika Waititi and Jemaine Clement actually produce it. They don't make it, but they produce it. And it's those officers, kind of like a uh, Kolchak sort of thing, (laughs) where it's like he's a reporter and in the real world, there's actually all this fantastical shit going on. Mm -hmm. Same thing with them. They're just officers and everything that they, every case that they get is somehow paranormal related. And it's a comedy. Fun. Yeah. But yeah, there's a fun bit where he full on just says to them, Something about where his soul is. And she goes, well, I don't know where his soul is, but yeah. you need to, because I think that, oh, they find the dead guy. And yeah, they're like, what's they're wrong like, oh, with him? He drank too much. Yeah, he's he passed drunk. Out. Well, you need to get him upstairs. He's going to have a hell of a hangover in the morning. <laughs> Very much like in Clue. Yeah. So when the cops leave, they put Nick on trial <laughs> for having killed, uh, for having getting Peter and killed. Stu's just sitting there in the corner watching. Yeah, they're like, he, the first thing is that you brought somebody into our home, and they're all like, yeah, but Stu's cool. Oh, we'll okay, drop we'll, that charge. We'll just take that one right off. <laughs> so they basically cast Nick out indefinitely. Yeah. But Stu can come back whenever he wants. Yes. There's a fun bit later where Viago interrupts Vladislav doing his dark bidding on the internet. <laughs> okay, so they find out. That, so several months later, they fi- they get the invitation to the masquerade, the unholy masquerade. And Vladislav was thinking he would be the guest of honor, but it turns out the guest of honor is the beast and so he gets super depressed he starts to age he stops taking care of himself and yes he's like leave me to do my dark bidding on the internet which is already funny but then viago asks him oh yeah what are you bidding on yes <laughs> he's on ebay bidding on things like a stupid thing too i'm bidding on a table <laughs> just leave me to do my dark bidding on the internet what are you bidding on i'm bidding on the table but yeah so they end up going to the unholy masquerade. And like Chris said, it's going to be the beast is the guest of honor. So Vladislav that gets ancient, like in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, uh-huh. So he can't go. So they all go and it's this shitty ass dance. That, and they bring Stu. <laughs> yeah, they bring Stu. And they run into Jackie, Deacon's old familiar, and he's like, what are you doing here? This is only for vampires. She's like, I know, I'm a vampire now. Isn't it great? Nick turned me. Yes, Nick, her friend from high school that she brought that she for them brought, to yes, kill, uh-huh. who they turned, now has turned her. So he no longer has his servant anymore. We didn't mention that when they were talking about virgins and she thought he was a virgin. And he's like, he's like I'm not a virgin. She's like, yeah, you were. You were when I went out with you. And he was like, I was 11. <laughs> so we find out who the Beast is. The Beast is Vladislav's ex-girlfriend. Pauline. 
<laughs> who he just calls the beast because he hates her so much. Yes. And she's not even that scary. And, no. I mean, obviously she's just a regular vampire, but what I mean is, is that like she's not like this evil woman mm-hmm. or anything. And she has a new partner who's another ugly vampire. Yes. But so they find out that Stu is a human. And so they're like, what the fuck? You can't just bring a human here. And what's with all these cameras he doing here? Yeah. They finally mention the cameras. Yes. They start to attack them, and they run away. Well, first, Stu kills the Beast's husband or partner or whatever as it was attacking um, Vladislav, who showed up. All looking elegant with his hair up, just like yeah, Bram the, Stoker's the big hair. Yeah, and he shows up and he gets into a fight with the beast partner. And when that dude is gonna kill Vladislav, Stu stakes him instead. And there's this whole hullabaloo, and they manage to run away and they get out. But they run into the werewolves again, who are chaining themselves up because, because they're about to change. Because it's the night of a full moon. And none of them are ready when the moon hits them. There's a whole conversation about the pants and all the new werewolves. It's like, oh, you you brought your nice pants? Those are going to be destroyed. <laughs> I forgot the combination of my combination lock. Why did you get a combination lock? Because I lost the key to my last lock. <laughs> They're about to change. And the werewolf is like, sorry, guys, but the dude with the bow tie is going to be the first one to go. <laughs> So there's a big vampire werewolf fight because they do change and the vampire showing up and the conversation happening there delayed them getting ready. So the full moon's out. They change. Big fight. And Stu gets like tossed around a bunch and then ripped up. You think that he's been killed and we pretty much cut to somebody talking to the camera being like, yeah, Nick's probably pretty upset by seeing his friend disemboweled by werewolves. (laughs) And then I think it's Deacon. Yeah. And then Deacon keeps rubbing it into him like, ah, I'm sorry that your friend got disemboweled. Yeah. I'm sure that's what he would have wanted. Nick's sort of living with them again now because it's way later. And then somebody shows up at the door and Nick opens the door, I think, or he's on the other side. Doesn't matter. But Stu's there, too. And so are all the other werewolves. And they're showing up and it turns out that when they were trying to cart away Stu's dead body, he woke up and ran off. He had turned. He had turned into a werewolf. So that's why it ma- there's like a heavy, heavy connection. It's not just a cameo thing to what happened here with what would happen with werewolves, because Stu would be on that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's them just kind of getting over their inbred hatred of werewolves and their smell and all of that and just becoming actual friends with all of them. And that's basically all there is to the movie. And it's so funny. But it's filled just chock-a-block with great comedy. Yeah. And, you know, we, we didn't spoil everything for you, so if you haven't seen it, see it. It's really, really good. It's affecting. We also find out that Viago ends up Oh yeah, marrying his old love who's in her nineties so now, cute. and then and then turning her. Yeah, and he's like, and people talk about the age difference. <laughs> Some people freak out a bit about the age difference. Uh, they think, what's this ninety-six-year-old lady doing with a guy four times her age? And you know, I don't care. It they doesn't can, make any difference. No, they can call me cradle snatcher. Who cares? I decide to bite her, and we're gonna be together forever. 
wonderful. Yeah. Simple, stupid jokes, but they just nail them. They They're hit so them cute. so yeah, it's really cute. Because she's really excited to be with him and very happy to be a vampire now. Yes. And they're gonna be together forever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's very sweet. We it's- also get to see that uh Jackie's husband is now her familiar, and she's making him do everything for her. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just generally a good time. It's a quick and easy watch, and you won't regret it. Highly, highly recommend it. Uh, the original short is basically more of the same, and it's not as good. <laughs> Viago isn't a fully flesh, fleshed out character like he is in this one. He's just one of three vampires who are basically the same uh, in the short, but it's the same actors. There is a What We Do in the Shadows TV show, which is starting its third season sometime soon. I've heard it's good. Yes, so have I. Uh, but it doesn't have, it's produced by them, of course, but it doesn't have uh, the same actors and characters. But it does have Matt Barry in it, who I, I haven't ever seen him on the show, but I really like him from... Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, he's really good in that, so I'd be excited to see him in this. By the way, if you haven't seen Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, if you like Stephen King and you like sort of stupid comedy like this, it's basically an old-school, low-budget horror series based on the stand-in for Stephen King uh, and all of his works, and, and it's very, very good. I'd highly recommend you watch it. So, anything else to say about what we do in the shadows, Kelsey? I know this is a really short one, but it's kind of insubstantial. I mean, it would just be more of us just telling you what the jokes are. Yeah. Uh, But they're all perfect. They hit on all the tropes. It's very, it's very good. I highly recommend it. We've covered almost all of the movies that they reference, except for The Lost Boys, which I can't believe we haven't gotten to yet. We talked about The Lost Boys. We reviewed The Lost Boys? Oh, no. Yeah. I didn't. I I said, yeah, no, we haven't actually covered it on the show. I know. Another great movie. Um, Kelsey loves The Lost Boys. I'm very surprised that we haven't. We will, though. We're going to. Maybe for your birthday when coming up, we'll do that. Or whatever you want to do. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? Like 79? Try a 96. Holy shit! Smarter, fresher, and funnier than a modern vampire movie has any right to be. What we do in the shadows is bloody good fun. It has a Metacritic of 76. That is insane, because... Interview was so low. Well, you got to keep in mind, again, we're talking Rotten Tomatoes. You don't have to think it's a superb movie to like it. And I think that's the thing is that everyone just liked it. How much they liked it is another matter, but that's the Metacritic score. So it has an average of 76. It's just very, very popular. Um, It's why they made a spinoff series about it. From two popular comedic New Zealanders. Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement. So not too surprised that it is well beloved. And it's not a small number of reviews. It's like a hundred and something reviews got at 96%. So we're not kidding when we say it's worth watching. I'm guessing you think it's overrated though. Only slightly. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 90. Wow. Wow. I thought it was very funny, very clever. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 92. I liked it a lot. I I also really, really, this is right up my alley. And the thing is, is Kelsey and I don't agree on comedy all that much. We have different comedic tastes. So it's really great when what we do align a lot on, which is horror, 
and there's comedy that we both like. Like, yeah, this is perfect. It's just for us. So I'm really glad that I finally got to see it because I've just been itching to see this movie for so, so long. So thank you all for, for listening. So I have a reason uh, to finally watch it. Thank you guys. That is 2014's What We Do in the Shadows. And that ends our interviews with some vampires week on Pod Cemetery. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? It's St. Patrick's Day. Yes, it is. We're going to continue our St. Patrick's Day kind of tradition at this point. Sure. We're going to watch Leprechaun 3. Yeah. Leprechaun in Vegas, you said this one is? Yes. Is the hood next? I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, Leprechaun 3, where he's going to go to Vegas. That's our classic movie. Our new movie is called Wakewood. Never heard of it. It is an Irish horror movie. Cool. Yes. That is next week. Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com. I'd highly recommend that you follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery. We do post a lot of things. There was something earlier in this episode that I said I would post to Twitter so we could definitively say one way or the other what it was. That's how you find it. Follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Rate and review really helps us. A five-star written review is a bigger help than that. Even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. It means a lot to us. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? I go for a look which I call dead but delicious. There's like this whole little coven of Draculas. Draculas? Of vampires. <laughs> you want to say that again? I wish I could remember some of his lines from the Thor movie. He's so fucking funny. Oh, yeah. Piss off, ghost. <laughs> That's the one he's famous for. <laughs> now we're going to be friends forever. Now we're going to be together forever. Annie? <laughs>